late night episode of Wizards After Dark last night, and I am recording a late night episode of Wizards After Dark again tonight. We're in our natural habitat. We're after dark. I'm your host, Fred Katz. I also cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and uh, I figured let's get back to a little bit more of the regular season model of this. When I was just churning out post-game shows every other day about and recording this stuff at 11 p.m., 12 p.m., 1 a, or 12 a.m., 1 a.m., all that stuff, and actually giving the reason to, uh, the name of this podcast actual justification. And so we're recording this after, like, the signing stuff calms down a little bit. Day two of free agency. It's currently Monday at 11.58 p.m. Eastern Time. So the Wizards so far, just to recap, Day one of free agency, I did a podcast with Brett Dawson last night, covers the Thunder for the Athletic, but we didn't talk about the Thunder at all. He's just a good buddy, and he knows the league extremely well. So we talked about Thomas Bryant resigning with the Wizards, three years, $25 million, which happened on day one. We talked about Trevor Ariza going to Sacramento, two years, twenty-five. Uh, Bobby Portis went to the Knicks, two years, thirty-one. We've since learned the second year on that is a team option. So in effect... One-year deal with the, which the Wizards are are not going to match. Bobby Portis is going to be going to the Knicks. Uh, talked about that. Talked about the Knicks a lot. Talked about the crazy stuff with the Nets and, and more in that podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about today's stuff. So the Wizards signed and traded Thomas Sadoransky to the Bulls and replaced him, Sadoransky, to the Bulls, a three-year, $30 million deal they brought in. Ish Smith, now the former... Backup point guard for the Pistons on a two-year, $12 million deal. And they signed Isaiah Thomas. One year, minimum deal for Isaiah Thomas. We're going to talk about that stuff on the Skype line as I sit in the office in my apartment right now. On the Skype line is my good buddy, a, a Wizards After Dark guest. Have you been on Wizards After Dark before? You have. Yeah, I did. It was, what, November when they were in Portland? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sean, Sean Hyken, who's all about Portland. All about he writes for Bleacher Report, does awesome work. Uh, where where are we starting on this thing? I, I can we start on IT? Yeah. You know what? No, I take that back. We're not starting on IT. IT is like so so everyone's reacting to IT like they haven't seen him play basketball in two years. People are talking like that's the big signing. That's not a big signing. Isaiah Thomas like people say like he was hurt last year. He he. He only played 12 games. And, yeah, he was hurt for a large portion of last year. You know the reason he only played 12 games, though, is because he was benched and playing behind Monte Morris and, and obviously, Jamal Murray for the vast majority of the year and during Denver's playoff run. Like He was hurt the year before, too. That's yes. the thing. Like He has not been healthy since that Celtics uh, season where he was, like, a borderline MVP candidate. And he hasn't produced when he's been on the floor. So we are not starting with Isaiah Thomas. We're starting with the guys who produce and the, the things that matter more on the court because we're not doing – the clickbaity type stuff. We're going to do the real, the real basketball because that's what the basketball fans here deserve. We're talking Thomas Sadoransky and Ish Smith first. Take your pick. Thomas Sadoransky uh, or Ish Smith? What are we talking about first one? I guess I kind of inter, inter, I don't really have a whole lot of strong Ish Smith takes. He's fine. He's solid. You know, you could do a whole lot worse as a backup point guard. You know what's interesting? The Wizards what? had, if Thomas Sadoransky were their starting point guard going into this year. He would have been probably the second tallest starting point guard in the NBA behind Ben Simmons. And now the Wizards' two point guards, because John Wall is going to miss at the very least the vast majority of this year and in all likelihood the entire year. Well, are we in all likelihood. Or is he kind of his own thing? What do you say? 
Are we counting Giannis for tallest starting point guard, or is that he kind of no, his own? he's not a point guard. He doesn't guard point guards. If you don't guard point guards, you're not a point guard. Giannis is a power forward. He's a point no. forward. You, okay. you are who you guard. I'm very passionate about this. When people make up this stuff, this guy's a point guard. He, he doesn't guard point guards. He's not a point guard. If you switch on the point guards every once in a while, it doesn't make you a point guard. you got to be able to guard point guards. They now have gone from Thomas Sadoransky, the second tallest behind Ben Simmons, point guard in the NBA, to probably the smallest point guard crop in the league in Ish Smith and Isaiah Thomas. Uh, maybe they'll bring Johnny Flynn out of retirement and really get on that. This team's defense, man, is going to be insane because Trevor Ariza had a down defensive year last year, but like he was still one of their better defenders, and he walked to – I said defensers. That's how tired I am from this damn free agency. It's like a combination of defensers and wizards. Yeah, yeah. He walked to Sacramento, and uh, and Sadoransky was their best defensive player, and uh, and now Sadoransky is gone, and they've replaced him with two guys who you can really beat up with size, who you can really knock down with screens. Their best defender is Jan Mahimi, but I don't really know how you're going to be able to play him. Their second best defender might actually still be Dwight Howard, but I'm not 100% sold he's going to be on the team. And if their starting lineup ends up being Ish Smith, Bradley Beal, Troy Brown, Rui Hachimura, and Thomas Bryant, Bradley Beal or Thomas Bryant or maybe Troy Brown, I don't know, is your best defender. And, like, the Wizards had the fourth worst defensive efficiency in the NBA last year. Oh, it is going to be a lot worse than that. So let's just go through this. I saw uh, after after the Isaiah Thomas news broke, I uh, I saw Candace tweet this whole like their whole depth chart. So I have this pulled up here. Uh, so at point guard, and this is we're not counting John Wall because he's like not going to play next year. So point guard, Isaiah Thomas, Ish Smith, Justin Robinson, shooting guard, Bradley Beal, Jordan McRae, Jamario Jones, small forward, Jonathan Simmons. Troy Brown Jr., Rui Hachimura, Isaac Bonga. Power forward, Mo Wagner, Admiral Schofield. Center, Thomas Bryant, Dwight Howard, Jan Mahimi. That is rough. <laughs> that is like... I think it's either them or Charlotte are going to be the worst team in the league next year, honestly. It's possible. I mean, their their defense is just is just going to be rough. What, what I will say, they didn't lose Sadoransky for nothing. Uh... What's what's amazing is from 2014 until about two weeks ago, the Wizards traded away six second-round picks and acquired during that time only one second-round pick, a net negative, a net of negative five. And in the last two weeks, they've acquired four second-round picks, two in the Sadoransky deal now. They've got a pick swap in 2022, because which is big because that 2022 Lakers pick – could be a, a bad pick. I mean, they have the 2022 Lakers, uh, the 2022 Lakers second rounder. The Lakers could still be good then. It could be the last year of LeBron and AD or something like that. I mean, that could be a pick in the 50s. Now all of a sudden they've got a legitimate chance at a pick in the 30s in the draft that could be the first year of high school kids. That's that's a big deal. That pick swap and is a really really nice maneuvering move by Tommy Shepard. I think they got a 2020 second rounder out of it. Uh, they've got the protections removed from the 2023 that Chicago already owed them. It's only six spots, but getting protections removed is nice. 
The Wizards suffered from decision-making in which they were removing protections from second-round picks in order to offload salary earlier this year. Now they're the ones getting protections removed for them. That's just, I would say that's an encouraging role reversal. I think Sadoransky is a legitimately good player. He's a very good backup point guard. I think probably one of the five or six best backup point guards in the league if he's going to be a backup point guard. And I think he's a very good fit next to Zach Levine and a very good fit next to what Kobe White, they hope Kobe White can become. Very well, I would imagine he's probably going to... He's probably going to start uh, because I don't, th- I don't think they think Kobe White is going to be ready to be a starter. And, I mean, ev- all the moves the Bulls have made so far this offseason and, ju- and, and, and even going back to at the trade deadline when they traded for Otto Porter, uh, I got the sense I, – I, I definitely get the sense that they want to uh, make the playoffs this year. Whether they can actually do that, I don't know. But they're not looking to win 22 games again this season. Like They are trying to actually take meaningful – steps forward and become competitive again and I mean I don't know I don't I mean how do you how do you feel about uh Sadoransky as a starter on a team that's trying to make the playoffs because that's that I mean I, I guess just with with how many shots Zach Levine takes in an ideal world how many shots Lowry Markkinen is going to take because I think for the Bulls to maximize their potential he needs to be leading the league or leading the team in field goal attempts like it seems like having a low usage point guard like Sadoransky is probably the way to go yeah I, I actually think it's a great fit I, I think he, he works great there. Uh, Zach Levine is going to get up a ton of shots. Sadoransky, the problem is the biggest flaw with him as a point guard is that everyone will go under screens against him because not only – like his, his three-point numbers and jump shooting numbers in general are very deceptive because, yeah, they're low volume, but they're low volume for a reason – that makes it that you can go under every screen against him. He never takes pull-up jumpers, ever. He's made three pull-up three-pointers in his entire career. He never takes them. He's a very good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He takes two of those a game or something like that, and he shoots in the 40s. He's very good on catch-and-shoot, and I've discussed it with him. He's just one of those guys who knows what he's good at and knows what he's not good at, and I've asked him, like, why don't you just – take those pull-ups. He's like, I'm not good at them. I'm just, I'm not ready for them. I'm not good at them. I'll miss them. And I'm not going to make them at a high enough rate to where it's going to justify taking them. Uh, it's not like he doesn't work on it. He was a very hard worker. Uh, but he he doesn't take those shots. And because of that, defenses will go under screens against him. And it makes it difficult for him to get into the lane, even though he's athletic and he's actually pretty quick for someone who's six foot seven. Like he's he, he's quicker than you would than you would imagine for, you know, a guy who's not like a small shifty point guard. And it just makes it more difficult to run your offense when you can't get into the lane. And that's kind of, and you and when you don't have somebody who can pull up from three like that. So if you have Zach Levine, who's a guy getting into the lane, who's, who's not a good facilitator, obviously he's a guy who scores for himself, but Sadoransky can be a guy who can make an extra pass. He's a good cutter. He, he's, a, he is, like I said, a, a very good catch and shoot three point shooter, he kind of always makes the right play. If you give him the ability to go around and set screens, he'll do that. Like he's one of those guys. He's much better than his. But he'll he'll finish the game with ten and five and four, and he'll be like, oh, I feel like he played a lot better than ten and five and four today. And that's just kind of the Thomas Adaransky experience. And I feel like he's going to fit well with those guys you mentioned. You know? Yeah, it's it seems like that's exactly the kind of guy that. And this, especially, like, he's, he seems like, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he's 27, so he's not exactly young, but uh, 
he seems like there's like there's more upside with him than I mean when you think about some of the other guys that uh you had kind of heard about as the Bulls' possible point guard targets, and you know we're assume, obviously assuming that Malcolm Brogdon was priced out the whole time anyway, especially once they drafted Kobe White. Like I feel like there's more upside with bringing in Thomas Sadoransky than there was if they had brought in like uh, Corey Joseph or Ish Smith or before he unexpectedly retired, Darren Collison was a guy that had been linked to them for a while. It seems like this is kind of an in, it, it's an interesting fit. I like the Thad Young pickup too for them. You know, it's funny. I tweeted out when they signed Sadoransky. Thomas Sadoransky is the point guard version of Thaddeus Young. Okay, that's they're, that's interesting. They're the same dude. Thaddeus Young does the power forward version of all the stuff that Thomas Sadoransky does. He's a very good help defender. He's always in the right spot. He's kind of more handsy than you would expect on defense. He's a little bit of a better athlete than you would imagine. He, he's not a big assist guy, but he makes the right passes. He's not a big scoring guy, but he picks his spots well. He's not a good three-point shooter, but he can catch and shoot. He's not going to necessarily create his own shot, ISO, that kind of stuff, but he can find clever ways to score within your offense. He makes the right pass. like He's just a right play fundamental guy. That's what those two guys are. Those are the types of guys the Bulls are clearly trying to go after. Uh, I kind of like what the Bulls are doing, to be honest. Like, I liked the Thad Young signing. I thought that was a really good signing for them. I I think he's going to fit great. Uh, I'm one of two people of the 100 NBA voters who voted for Thad Young for all defensive team, by the way. I'm a very – I think Thad Young is probably better than the average person does. But I loved that signing for them. Uh, I think those guys are very similar – they just make a lot of sense. They they basically would fit well into any team. I think Sadoransky is probably more of a third guard. That's his ideal role if you're a really good team. But he he fits from a personnel standpoint there. With with the Wizards, it's it's interesting because I I kind of thought Sado was going to come back. Now now part of this is look you talk to people who know Sado well who are close with him. He wasn't dying to come back to the Wizards, and I wrote this. I've in heard my that story. too. Yeah, I, I wrote this. I wrote this in my story, uh, which is up on the Athletic. You can see it. It posted. It's twelve eleven now. Posted uh, five or six hours ago. I wrote it in my story, and uh, the reasons are exactly what you would imagine if you're a Wizards fan. He didn't hate anybody. Nobody hated him. Quite the opposite. Extremely popular teammate. You ask anybody in there, they, you know, people in that locker room love Thomas Sadoransky. but. He didn't feel like the organization uh, believed in him. And you talk to people who are close with him, and, and that's something that's just kind of reiterated by everybody. You know, they, he he comes in and he steps up when John Wall gets hurt a couple years ago, misses 41 games with his knee injury, and they go into the postseason. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the team signs Ty Lawson when he hadn't been there for literally the entire regular season. And Ty Lawson becomes the backup point guard for a playoff series after Thomas Adoransky was great point guard for them. Uh, the next year, you know, this past season, he goes into the season and Scott Brooks is playing him in a two and a three. Scott Brooks is promising in press conferences that he needs to find more minutes for Sato and no one's stopping him from doing it. He's just not really doing it and he's not really playing him consistently at the point. And he's playing Chase and Randall there and he, he's, he's playing other guys there and they're only going to Sadoransky at the point when they absolutely have to in dire moments when John Wall goes down to the seas for the season and they have to play him at the point. 
and and that's when he starts to shine. And and I think he didn't really. And this is my opinion. Uh, I, I think he just didn't feel. Uh, well, the general opinion on him is that he just didn't really feel like the organization believed in him. Now he was restricted. That wasn't the reason he left. The Wizards didn't have to let him go. And right. the Wizards wanted to bring him back. Uh, Tom Shepard is a big Thomas Sadoransky fan. He's a very big... He, he was one of the people who was in on Thomas Sadoransky before Thomas Sadoransky became an NBA player. Thomas Shepard spends a lot of time scouting in Europe. And he was a very big, very big Thomas Sadoransky fan and remains a very big Thomas Sadoransky fan. But it came down to not just would you rather have Ish Smith or Thomas Sadoransky... Because quite honestly, no one no one has told me this. No one has. But I, I think if you put them on truth serum, would you rather have Thomas Sadoransky or Ish Smith? I think they would say they'd rather have Thomas Sadoransky. But I would. Yeah, but the, me too. But I, I, I think the question was, would you rather have Thomas Sadoransky for three years or Ish Smith for two years and get two potentially good second round picks? Well, have and, we figured out whether there's a uh, what what the guarantee is on the third year? Is it an option or what? what? No. We have not figured that out. Uh, I'm operating under the assumption that it's it's three guaranteed years and all thirty is guaranteed. Okay, because I know that Thad Young's deal there's at least a partial on the on the yes. third year. I, I haven't I heard anything. I guess I guess I should follow up on that. But as of now, I haven't heard anything. So maybe we should just operate under the assumption that. We don't know for sure, but for this hypothetical, let's say because I know what the Bulls are trying to do, and just generally speaking, is they want to line up stuff with Otto Porter's deal that's up in after two more years because that's when they're going to have to pay Markinen like probably close to a max deal if not a full max, and I think they kind of and then after that you know there's only one more year before they have to pay Wendell Carter and then Levine's deal comes off the books like I think they I think two years from now is when they want to line all this stuff up too so I it wouldn't maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a partial on on Sato's final year but uh, we'll have to figure that out later. Yes, we will have to figure that out later. Um, I want to talk Ish Smith too, because like part of this is that they, the Wizards had to dig into the mid-level exception in order to bring in Ish Smith. And part of the thing, and and there was, I'm not going to credit this person because I just don't remember their handle, but they were bringing up valid points to me, saying the issue is not. Someone was tweeting at me. A Wizards fan was tweeting at me, saying the issue is the not. Issue. The issue, yes, exactly. The issue would be a I'm great nickname. You're the you're the pun king. I'm surprised you hadn't come up with that already. Well, I had a lead today in my story, which was I was only going to do because I thought it was an amazing pun, but I I deleted it because it just was mean and inappropriate, so I didn't do it. Okay, but I was, you can stop air what it was, or 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 you can no no I'll say it now because I feel like if you say it on a podcast, it's different because I prefaced it with it's not like a a real thing because I think Ish Smith is is a quality player. Yeah, uh, but. No, my my lead was gonna be uh, the Wizards point guard situation has officially gone to Ish, and I was really happy with it. I was yeah, really that's proud. A, that's a good pun, but it's also probably a good thing you didn't use that. <laughs> Such an inappropriate yeah, way to write my first ever. That's no, I mean, yeah, no, Ish Smith, Smith Ish Smith doesn't deserve that. He's he's oh, fine. God, he's, no. a, he's, he's super a, fun. Wizards he's fans a, are going well, to like Ish Smith. Uh, yeah, he played here for like a, a hot second because he's played everywhere in the NBA for a hot second. Ish Smith is one of the fastest. God, Ish Smith might be the fastest player in the NBA. We'll have to look up that tracking data. Uh, like, well, no, screw tracking data. I'm talking about you have everyone in the NBA have a race. 
They're, they are running – you have everybody in the NBA run a 100-yard dash. Ishmith might win it. Okay. That's, uh, That's my take. Sure. Russell Westbrook might win it. Ben Simmons might win it. But Ishmith is going to be right there. Ishmith is fast as hell. I'm and looking up the. I know. I know you just said screw player tracking, but I'm trying to look up the. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm looking up to see who. Uh, who actually it was the fastest player in the league. Well, it's, the reason I don't like that as a measure of like who's the fastest is because like, I don't know, like John Wall is way 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 at the bottom. John Wall's straight line speed is still really fast. He just like doesn't move when he doesn't have the ball, so it drags down that data. That's that's a good measure for how active are you. I don't know if it's great for how fast are you. That's yeah. That's no, that that's actually that's actually a good point. Uh, I'm. I mean, this is a lot. This is a whole. This is a whole. This is useless because like Tyler Davis played one game for Oklahoma City. Kalen Lucas played one game for Detroit. Joe Chi played one game. Like th- those are the those are listed as the three fastest. Like the, like this is this is. I, I don't even feel like going through this now. This is this is useless. I'm 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 actually mad that I even like brought this up. <laughs> that I even like brought up the page because it's like it's all just like guys who played in one game and so they have a ton of energy because they have like, they literally have only played in one NBA game or one game this season. Yeah. Well, so one thing I'll say with Ish, he is real fast and likes to play in high-paced offenses. That's what Thomas Bryant is like. Uh, I I think there is an increasing chance, and again, this is my personal opinion, just based on the way the roster is turning out, I think there's an increasing chance they bring back Jabari Parker just because they need people who can dribble the ball and do stuff while dribbling the ball. Like, they just don't have those people. Like, Jabari plays fast. Uh, Brad can like playing fast. Thomas Bryant is very good at, like, as good as any other center at just running the floor and being relentless in that area. And Ishmith is going to want to play fast, too. I bet you they have a high fast. At least the starters have a high-paced offense next year. Uh, I think that's going to be the case. But, like, Ishmith's... A solid point guard. He has been a backup point guard for his entire career, except for one season when he started with Philadelphia on what was arguably the worst team in the history of the NBA when the 76ers won 10 games, and I think it was 2016. I think that was they won 10. Yeah, that was the yeah that was the Hinky year. Yeah, that was the year that was the year that Hinky wrote the 13 page like resignation letter where he. Where he said that he voted for uh, Danny Ainge for executive of the year because he got a second round pick with Joel Anthony's contract. <laughs> that is amazing. Hey, he would be down with Tommy Shepard right now. Tommy Shepard is hoarding second rounders. Like it's amazing. After after the Wizards just were giving them away under Grunfeld is amazing. How well, the much the Bulls uh, much well the Bulls much to being on brand. Uh, Gave away second round picks in this signer, which I mean, it's fine. Like I've I've gotten to the point where like I am so like obviously you want second round picks, but you can always buy a second round pick if you need to buy a second round pick or if there's a player you like. Like I'm I'm I I've seen way too many. I've gone through too many like you know fans of a team freaking out about a trade because they included a second round pick, and I'm just like it's usually fine. Like it's it's usually not as big a deal as it seems. Yeah, I think that's true, but you have to actually buy the second round pick. Like the right. Wizards, I mean, there, there, 
remember sometimes like like when like when I was when I was still on the Bulls beat. This is actually when you were on the Thunder beat when they did the Taj Gibson uh, Cameron Payne trade mm-hmm. uh, with like, and the Bulls just threw in a second round pick for some reason, and it was just like they gave up the two best players in the trade. Why the hell are they also giving up a second round pick? Right. Those are the ones where you're like, what the hell? Those are where it's like, what are you doing? But like when the Bulls threw in a couple of second rounders in the Otto Porter trade. Like uh, a bunch of like some Bulls fans that I still talk because I because I used to be on the Bulls beat for your listeners who aren't familiar with me I used to cover the Bulls actually for your current employer the Athletic but uh they you know they're a, a bunch like a Bulls like a Bulls like blogger media like group text that I'm in was like talking about like wait wait why, why are they giving up these second round picks in this auto portrait it's like dude it's fine they got a good player like it's 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 okay right you got to give up something you got to give up something. Maybe they were just confused. The Wizards were actually receiving second-round picks. Uh, it's, it is jarring to see them receiving all of these second-round picks. It, it really is. By the way, the point that I was going to make, which I just interrupted myself and completely cut off, which this person was making to me on Twitter and whose name I don't remember, and if you listen to the podcast and I apologize, I don't remember – but this Go is leave fair. a five-star review and say that it was your uh, – That's true. It was you. Leave a five-star review, say it was you, and I'll give you a shout-out on the next podcast if I see the review. Um, anyway, it's a good point that Thomas Sadoransky, if they had brought him back, they would have still had the mid-level exception to work with because if you re-sign Sato, you're re-signing him with bird rights. That means you can pay him whatever price you want all the way up to the max – and you can re-sign him even though you're over the cap because he had been on the Wizards for over three years or for three years or more. With Ish Smith, since he wasn't on your team and you're over the cap, the only tool you have to sign him now is the mid-level exception. So the Wizards had to dig into the mid-level exception, which is worth about $9.2 million. You can sign a player for up to $9.2 million for 2019-20 salary. The Wizards are paying Ish Smith $6 million of that, so they've got about $3.2 million remaining of this year's mid-level exception. And they don't really have an opportunity to get anybody else. They're going to have to use part of the mid-level exception in all likelihood on Admiral Schofield because there are no exceptions for signing second-round picks. And in all likelihood, they're going to have to – they can't just give him a minimum deal because minimum deals can be two years at most. So you're going to want to sign him for three or four years. You're going to have to use part of the mid-level exception. Don't freak out, Wizards fans. That's literally the most normal thing ever. That's how teams sign up second-round picks. That's, like, very normal. You leave part of the mid-level exception to sign your second-rounder. But I I get it. I mean, if that's your criticism of this, that the Wizards now, if they re-sign Sadoransky, they, they have that second-round. They have that mid-level to play with. They can use it. To, sp- to split between maybe a, a wing defender and a big, they can use it to to just give it to somebody to pay seven and a half million dollars a year to come play for you of whatever position that you could possibly want because they have a lot of needs and then you also have your point guard. So that I totally get. Uh, I think the argument against that is that three years for Thomas Sadoransky, I think in most contexts. Three years for Thomas Sadoransky is viewed as not a lot and totally fair. And in the Bulls context, that is definitely the case. In the Wizards, well, one, he's 27 now, so he'll be. So he, you're taking him through his age 30 season, so that's fine. Which is totally fine. But the, with the thing with the Wizards is that Bradley Beal's contract is up in two years, and you don't know where you're going to be in terms of a rebuild. And I don't think the Wizards are trying to give three years to people who. 
they don't know if they're definitely going to be part of the team. Like they gave Thomas Bryant three years, but Thomas Bryant is 21 years old. It was $8 million a year. They think that's going to end up being a bargain deal as Thomas Bryant continues to improve. He had an excellent offensive season last year as a 21-year-old. It's a perfectly reasonable bet with tons of logic behind it. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I wrote yesterday that I thought that was a a very fair contract on both sides. Uh, With Sadoransky, if you have to pivot in another direction, John Wall comes back in a year, Scott Brooks you keep, and he decides that he doesn't want to play him at point guard anymore. Now you have a backup point guard who's making two for 20, and maybe Bradley Beal doesn't want to come back, and you have to trigger a rebuild, and you have no leverage on on trading Sadoransky for anything. At least now you're bringing in these two second rounders. And the thing is, you are totally right, person whose name I've forgotten, that the Wizards would be better if they could use their mid-level exception on something else and bring back Sadoransky. The depressing argument against that, if you're a Wizards fan, is being better right now doesn't really matter that much. Like, what's better? 33 wins instead of 31 wins? 28 wins instead of 24? Is uh, I did, we just went up the depth chart a little bit earlier. 28 wins seems like it might be a little bit high. It might be. You're right. I mean, but that's my point. Like, what, what does better mean? If you believe that this sets you up for 2021 better than it sets, and this is what my story was about. If you believe this sets you up better for 2021, even if you know for sure it sets you up worse for today, and if you think that today is irrelevant, if you think that 19 wins versus 25 wins versus 28 versus 32 is irrelevant, and this is what Wizards fans have been complaining about for a long time, that they didn't believe that 28 wins versus 35 wins was irrelevant. They wanted 35 wins. They tried to get to 35 because if they were at 35, they'd be a little closer to the eighth seed. That was all the problem. They're having self-awareness, it seems. And whether you agree or you disagree with the move, and I think reasonable minds can have very intelligent opinions and totally disagree, uh, especially in a matter like this. But if you disagree with the move, at least I think you can be encouraged by the fact that they're that the thought process behind this move is coming from self-recognition of what they are as a team right now. And I think that is an improvement overall for the Wizards from what they've been the right. last few years. Yeah, well, I mean, they need to they need to just kind of clean up their books a little bit. I, I, I kind of agree with you with that. With that uh, I'm, I'm looking at their, uh, their cap sheet right now, and basically, basically other than Wall and Beal, they don't have anybody else making uh, eight figures right now per year. Like Thomas Bryant, outside of those two, is, is the most... Right, well, well, I'm talking about, well, for this current year, but I'm talking about oh, beyond yeah, this year. Yeah, once, yeah. Once, the, once the Mahimi deal is off the books, it'll just be Wall, Beal, Thomas Bryant, and then, like, guys on rookie deals. So, like... And and that's not to say that like they need to go out and make a big splash in free agency after that. But you need to get to you know they they can start if they're going to do a rebuild they can maybe start to do what Memphis just did with Andre Iguodala where they take on another team's contract they want to get off of and get a pick or something and start you know rebuilding that way and basically just ride out the next however many years John Wall has left on his deal. And I I think there is a totally realistic chance by the way they do a trade like that this year. They've got an $8.6 million trade exception remaining. If they're saying we're only worrying about the future, screw this year, we are worrying about the future, we're going to give Mo Wagner a shot, and we're going to give Isaac Bonga a shot, let it roll, let's see if any of these young guys can do anything. Troy Brown, you're playing 32 minutes a night. Thomas Bryant, you're going to play 30. We're going to see what we got. If that's what you're doing, don't be surprised if that's how they use 
They created a $5 million trade exception with Thomas Sadoransky, with the Thomas Sadoransky deal, which isn't going to expire until July 6, 2020. They have a long-ass time to use that. They have an $8.6 million trade exception they created in the Markeith Morris deal, which they doesn't expire until February of 2020. They also have a long time to use that. Don't be surprised if they use at least one of those trade exceptions the same way they used a couple of previous ones early. They took on Jonathan Simmons, and for the sake of taking on Jonathan Simmons, they got a second-round pick. They took on the Lakers guys, Bonga and, and Jamario Jones and and uh, and Wagner, and in order for doing that, they got a 2022 unprotected second-round pick. Maybe they try to absorb Sean Livingston into it, and they get a second-round pick from the Warriors out of it. Like, they're... That's a big enough trade exception. Maybe Milwaukee decides that bringing on Wes Matthews was too much and they they, they got to get rid of uh, Ersan Ilyasova. And you can absorb Ersan Ilyasova's $7 million in a second-round pick. Like There are ways to get this done and to load up on more draft picks and more assets. And it will be, if that's what they decide to do, the present is going to be depressing for Wizards fans, but you know what? Wizards fans said for a long time they wanted a direction, and he's an interim, and I don't know if he's even going to be there to see the direction through. That's a whole other conversation, but Tommy Shepard is showing at the very least he has a direction. He's showing the direction. I think Wizards fans should be encouraged about that, even though it's going to be a very depressing next few years potentially. Yeah, it is going to be rough, but they, you know, I, I, I honestly, I mean, at this point, I would I would not be surprised. This is just an outsider. It seems like it's kind of trending in the direction that they might just keep Tommy Shepard on as the permanent GM. I would say it's trending in that direction, but to be honest, I don't know because I don't expect them to do anything until after free agency starts in terms of making any decisions. They've chased big names. I've reported on Tim Connolly. I've reported on Masai Ujiri. They've they've chased names. They've denied chasing names. I I I'm not sure at this point what they're going to end up doing. It I would say yeah. If I had to rank the most likely scenarios, I would say the most likely scenario is Tommy Shepard ends up running the team for the year. Whether that means he has the interim tag for the year, whether that means that he's on a one year deal or a one plus one or gets a long the longer term deal or whatever, I would guess that Tommy Shepard is going to be their GM because, like, how the hell do you have him run the draft, have him run free agency, and then be like, by the way, everybody's out? Well, I remember uh, when the Blazers fired Kevin Pritchard in 2010, they told him he was on draft day, they told him he was fired like an hour before the draft, and then they made him do the draft. <laughs> and they ended up drafting uh, Luke Babbitt. And I forget who their second round pick was, but Luke Babbitt was their uh, first round pick that year, and uh, it was just one of the most awkward things. And, and then they, you know, later that they, they fired they fired uh, Pritchard, and then they went through all of free agency without a GM basically. And their interim GM, or I think it was somebody from their scouting department, signed Wesley Matthews to that huge offer sheet from Utah that Utah ended up not matching. And then in like August, they hired Rich Cho. It was one of the weirder GM uh, situations that I can, can remember. That is a weird one. And this one is this one is right up there, man. It's really weird. It's really weird. Uh, I, we do have to talk about Isaiah Thomas. He's, he's still a thing. He's going to yeah. be on the team. He's going to play. I, people are real excited. Uh, I, I shouldn't say people. I don't know if people are real excited, but Wizards Twitter seems to be really excited. He's a name. 
I don't I don't know. I, I just don't know. I mean, everything that I – look, I watch a lot of NBA basketball. You watch a lot of NBA basketball. I watched a lot of the Nuggets this year. They were very good. He played in 12 games for the Nuggets. I watched a lot of them. It's definitely hard to come into the year as a guy who is a ball-dominant guy who kind of thrived in Boston with a system that was carved for you with a great coach who knew how to use you amazingly when you th- those teams were just fun and, and, and built around his personality and he, IT was just nothing short of phenomenal with those Boston teams. That last year in Boston was just magical and no one in their right mind would disagree with that statement for a second. But it's it's hard to come in to to that Denver situation when that team is gelling like that, when Jamal Murray Jamal Murray's having his breakout year, when Monte Morris is yeah, he's a second round pick rookie, but he's having a, a killer a killer season. And and I I get how it could be tough to blend in, but man, he just looked bad. Like the reason he didn't play at the end of the year was not because he was hurt. The reason he only played in 12 games was not because he was hurt. The reason he wasn't playing at the end was because he wasn't helping them win. And the fact that he couldn't be one of the 10 people helping them win, uh, he didn't look good when he was out there. He did not look good in Cleveland, which was also a bad basketball situation for him, no question. Uh, he didn't look much different from a physical perspective in in Los Angeles. He hasn't really been able to create his own shot. From from the reporting on this, uh, you know, he says he's in much better shape. And if he's in if he's in much better shape now, obviously he had the major hip injury, the major hip surgery. If his hip is feeling better, then the Wizards had a hell of a sign. And there's no reason to like knock the signing. It's a one year minimum signing for a veteran who maybe you can capture lightning in the bottle with. It's it's fine. I don't have like a problem with it. Um, it's just like. I, I don't want people to get too hyped. If he gives you good backup point guard minutes, that's a steal for them. Yeah, it's I mean, it's hard to get too mad at any minimum signing, you know, especially for a guy where you know how good he is when he's fully healthy, before, you know, before he had these these uh these injuries, but I just remember covering the Blazers Nuggets series in the second round of the playoffs and it was one of the most fun series I've ever covered you know with the four overtime game and just how incredible Jokic was and then you had like the random Rodney Hood game there's all this stuff and I just I remember uh I was doing a podcast with one of the Denver people uh after one of the games and they brought up Isaiah Thomas and I was just like oh that's right Isaiah Thomas is on this team like you completely forget about it like dur- during you know this exciting playoff series where you know you're around the same team for a whole week at a time and you just like you just kind of forget that he exists which is crazy considering he was one of the most electrifying players in the league just a year and a half before that but i mean this is definitely like just it's just a situation like this is it's it's all upside because everybody's going to be rooting for Isaiah Thomas just because of how good he was uh, in Boston that year and just how, you know, he had these injuries and a lot of people kind of feel like the Celtics sort of did him dirty with, you know, the way that he played injured for them uh, in that playoffs uh, with the Celtics and then they traded him in the Kyrie Irving deal and then he's kind of never the same after that and it's like right before he's going to become a free agent and so he was going to get a huge deal uh, after that. So like, it, was, it was 
you know, he, he's he's a very sympathetic figure in a lot of ways, and and so a lot of people are going to be hoping that he does well. So it's all upside. So if he does well, like this is a great story, and you know, we just talked about how depressing this wizard season is going to be, and just how depressing the roster and the depth chart is. If Isaiah Thomas is good, or even if he just, it's not even like if he's good consistently, if he has a couple of games where he puts up like 20 points and shows a couple flashes of the old Isaiah Thomas, then, you know, okay, cool, the fans actually have something to get excited about, and then if it doesn't work out, okay, it was a one-year minimum deal, who cares? Do you ever gamble? No. On anything? No. If anyone on this podcast gambles, I don't bet on basketball, I can't, it's unethical. I play blackjack when I'm in Vegas for summer league. That's as far as I go. If I did bet on basketball, I, I imagine they do odds on this. They do prop bets on everything. I don't know when the lines would come out. If they're out now, you know what's a bet that I'd be looking at? Bra- Bradley Beal to win the scoring title. Like, I bet you the odds on that would be decent. And... Dude's going to have to take 26 shots a game this year, and Scott Brooks might just play him 35, 36 minutes a game. And they're going to shut him down with, They're going to shut him down with phantom injuries at some point once they realize that they need to be trying to get a high draft pick. I don't cool, I don't think cool. he's gonna... scoring title is points per game. But there's isn't there like a certain number that you have to qualify you have to play a yeah, certain number Yeah, but that's not that's like, not how the Wizards roll, man. That's just not how they roll. He played 82 games last year in a season where they lost 50 and he led the league in minutes and uh what's his name? Daryl Brockport, is that his name? I'm just terrible with names now. I'm forgetting everybody's names. This is insulting. He, he he's he does uh he does really cool NBA statistical work. He he tweeted out a great stat a couple of weeks ago that Bradley Beal played more total possessions over the course of the 2018-19 season of any NBA player over the last decade. That I mean, is we, not something I would have expected. I mean, Bradley Beal's played 82 games two years in a row. Bradley Beal doesn't like to sit. Scott Brooks uh does not really care to rest guys during games. He believes that sitting guys, he's he's got some tibs in him. I mean, he's... Do you he's, think there's zero chance they move him at some point? Brad? Yeah. I'm not going to say zero, because never say never, but I'd be... At some, what's at some point to you? Are you talking about this summer, or like on literally this, over this, the next two years? On this contract. On this contract, yeah, I think it's possible they come to a realization. But where their mind is at now, it would absolutely shock me. Like, I don't expect anything coming imminently and not even close to that. Like, no, their their mindset is we are keeping Bradley Beal and we're offering him that three-year, $111 million extension. Now, I don't think they're extremely confident he's, he's going to take it. But I think they're going to offer it and they're going to hope – that he does, uh, and I don't think they're going to trade him this summer. No, I, I would be I would be so surprised if they traded him this summer. I just don't see it happening. He could go to them and say, "This is not a team I want to play on. I want to win," and request something. But to my knowledge, that absolutely hasn't happened either. So I just I don't. I don't see it happening at all. The rumors with the Heat, all that stuff. I don't know what the hell Miami would give up, by the way. But I just – I don't see it happening. 
You mean you don't you don't think they can give up uh what was what was going to go to the Mavs and the it was like Kelly Olynyk and uh like James and by the way by the way I, I want to know what you think about the Hassan Whiteside thing because I'm still trying to process it from the Portland uh, standpoint and I have some thoughts on it but like I wanted to, I want to know what your thoughts on that are like how like that move from from the Portland perspective. My first thought when I saw that trade for Portland was this is a organization betting that its culture is good enough that it can absorb a guy like Hassan Whiteside. Like this is an organization betting that Damian Lillard is such a magician, not as a basketball player, but as the guy who people around the league will tell you that guy is the best culture, locker room culture setter in the league just as a dude. People will tell you that. And I was like, that. this is an organization betting that Damian Lillard is such a great culture setter and that that locker room is so strong that not only is Hassan Whiteside not going to do bad stuff to it, but they are going to be able to turn him into what he could become. By the way, I mean, you know what, though? Here's the thing. Uh, they uh, there There is precedent for this because you know who else had a – I mean, it, maybe not quite exactly as bad of a reputation, but you know who had a pretty bad reputation when they got traded to Portland? Yusuf Nurkic. Oh well, I thought I thought you were going to say traded from Portland. I thought you were going to say Zach. No, 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 no. I'm talking. No, I'm talking about traded to Portland in this current era. And you, I mean, Portland got a first round pick with Nurkic in that trade because Denver was so desperate to get rid of him because he had such an attitude problem and he was so unhappy about his role uh, playing behind Nikola Jokic in Denver and. There is, you know, there was this great story that my Bleacher Report colleague Jonathan Abrams wrote uh, earlier this season about just kind of the bond that Damian Lillard has with Nurk. Where once he got there, uh, Dame was like, "Okay, I need to really just like take this guy under my wing and really just show him that we care about him and we value." Like, I could see the same type of thing happening with Hassan Whiteside. And honestly, if you look at a lot of the moves that Neil Olshay has made since that summer of 2015, when LaMarcus Aldridge left, and they basically retooled the whole thing around Damian Lillard. A lot of the guys that he has brought in since then are guys who were either undervalued or, like, distressed assets for whatever reason. You know, sometimes because of, you know, within the case of Nurkic, because the team didn't like the, you know them from a cultural standpoint, or some guys just didn't get minutes. And that's kind of the, those are the types of guys that Neil Olshay has targeted. Like when you look at like Al Farouk Aminu had kind of bounced around minimum deals for a few years before that. Mo Harkless wasn't getting any minutes at all in Orlando. Uh, and then even the guys that they brought in this past season, uh, Ennis Cantor, Rodney Hood, Seth Curry, these are all guys that were just kind of scrap heap guys. And for a, a guy making, you know, what's Hassan Whiteside making 26, $27 million. Like if it's possible for a guy making that much money to be a scrap heap guy, it's kind of Hassan Whiteside just because he has such little value and people around the league think so little of him that, you know, they're taking a gamble that, you know, especially, you know, it's a position of need because they they don't know when Nurk is going to be back uh, on the court. They think at least January or February before that time. They need a stopgap for then. You know, if he if he plays well, then, you know, if Nurk comes back and Nurk looks good, they can flip him at the deadline. And then if it doesn't work out, it's it's an expiring deal, so it's it doesn't do anything long term. I think it's an interesting gamble. I still don't know if I love the fit, but it's definitely on brand for Neil Olshay to kind of say, okay, this is a this is a swing we're going to take. It is. I'm uh, I'm intrigued by Portland. There are a lot of teams I'm intrigued by. I'm intrigued by Portland. 
I'm intrigued by whatever the hell is going to happen with Kawhi, and thus I'm intrigued by the Lakers and the Clippers and Toronto. I'm intrigued by New Orleans now. I am I'm so in on New Orleans. Yeah, I talked about New Orleans with with Brett for a while last night. We're both I have a we're take both that really I'm working. I have I have a take that I'm workshopping. I'm not quite ready to go public with it, but I'm do it. Do it. Workshop it. No. Workshop it live on the no, pod. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Workshop it live on the pod. Come on, come on. Let's do it now. We'll do it together. No one cares what you say 45 minutes into a podcast. It's kind of like how calories don't count in an airport. Words don't count 45 minutes into a podcast. So let's just workshop it. No one's going to be like, this is what you believe. They're just going to be like, this was podcast fodder. We'll have to see what happens with Kawhi Leonard and where Kawhi Leonard goes. But I kind of think the Pelicans are going to have a better record than the Lakers. Oh, yes. Yes. Aggregators. Get it. (laughs) If Kawhi Leonard goes to the Lakers, I reserve the right to rescind that take. Yes, that's a fa- that's fair. But, I'm kind of into that. But as of right now, I feel like you know LeBron is 35. LeBron is still LeBron. Obviously, he's still incredible. But he's 35. He just missed significant time with the groin injury. Like I know he's LeBron and he's a cyborg, but he's you don't think he's gonna. Oh, by the way, Anthony Tolliver, one year, two point six million dollar deal with the Blazers from Shams. Uh, as as we're recording, that's oh, that not terrible. Makes sense. That's a that's good fine. fit. That's a good fit. He can shoot. That makes sense. He's yeah, he's kind of the the offensively he's the Harkless replacement. They'll park him in the corner. Yeah, that's fine. Not defensively, obviously. Yeah, that's yeah, that's not yeah that that's that's they a good. They could use their good, wings. Yeah, that's a good signing. So back to my take. Uh, as this off season is dragging out, if the Lakers don't get Kawhi, and again this this Lakers better than uh, this Pelicans better than Lakers take is contingent on Kawhi not going to the Lakers, but. As this offseason is dragging out, if they don't get Kawhi, we were already seeing so many guys come off the board. When you think about, like, who could they have signed that, you know, would have been a good fit? Like, you know, Seth Curry off the board. Like, so many guys. Reggie Bullock, who was one of their guys that they picked up as, as a buyout guy at the after, uh, you know, around the deadline, who uh, they, you know, and he was good for them. And he's a good shooter. He's a guy they could use. He's off the board. Like, so many guys that they could have, you know, D'Angelo Russell, we had kind of seen that as, like, maybe he's their fallback plan with this max space they have. He's off the board. Jimmy Butler, off the board. Like, who are they, like, if if they don't get Kawhi, they have, like, $30 million left in cap space. How many guys are even left for them to fill the rest of the roster out with? You're going to be seeing them bring in, like, they might trade for J.R. Smith and then not waive him and just guarantee his salary. And that might be, like, one of their offseason acquisitions. Like, it, it could get pretty dark for the Lakers pretty quickly if Kawhi doesn't come. It could get dark for whomever. Like, if if Kawhi, whoever Kawhi signs with, like, if Kawhi goes back to Toronto, the Lakers and the Clippers are going to be going nuts for people. That's why I think... Well, the Clippers will be fine, because the Clippers, you, they have a decent core... Like they'll be they'll be about what they were this year in terms of like they'll be a six seven eight seed and they're fine and then and I mean and and, and and that's fine for the Clippers because the Clippers as presently constructed nobody thinks they're a title contender but so they aren't going into the off se- into the season with a title contender even if the Lakers don't get Kawhi they still have LeBron James and Anthony Davis so people are going to expect them to be contending for a championship and if they don't get Kawhi like uh, this is like they really don't have the any. I don't see anybody left left out on the market to really be, uh, in, you know, move the needle in that way unless, you know, LeBron stays healthy the whole year and doesn't and has a total, you know, LeBron season 
and Kyle Kuzma makes the kind of leap that, uh, you know, that people think he will. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, and, and the other thing with the, with the, with the Lakers is there's just so much, uh, even, you know, even though Magic Johnson is gone, there's still so much weird stuff with the, uh, with, you know, with the organization and with the way the whole coaching situation playing out. Watch them lose three games in a row in November and league sources are going to start to tell, you know, Woj or whoever or Shams or, or, you know, whichever of the national guys you want. League sources are going to start to say that LeBron's people would prefer to have Jason Kidd as the head coach. Like, that's going to become a thing. Like, I just, I just see a whole lot of, potential for this Lakers situation to fall apart if they don't get Kawhi. Mm-hmm. I think that's and then a fair on, take. And then on the flip side of the take, I kind of love what what New Orleans is doing. I think the J.J. Redick signing for them is huge because after they did the uh, Davis trade, like, I like Lonzo and I like Ingram, but the, thing, the, the, the drawback with them was that they just don't have a whole lot of shooting. And now they pick up J.J. Redick, who's one of the best shooters in the league, and they still have Drew Holiday, who's one of the best defensive guards in the league, who can also shoot. Like, that's gonna... Be- they're, they're intriguing to me. I'm just... I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, 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 I'm workshopping this take still, but it's... But if the Pelicans do end up having a better record than the Lakers, I'm gonna point to this episode and say I was on it before anybody else. <laughs> Perfect. But... But no one will take it seriously because it was more than 45 minutes into a podcast. Uh, anything okay. else before we go? You got anything to plug? Any week pieces coming out? Anything like that? Uh, I mean, I'm going to be in Vegas for Summer League. I've got some cool stuff I've got in the works uh, that you know, you'll know you maybe see later in July. So just be on the lookout for that. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Hiken. Uh, my stuff is at Bleacher Report. Uh, just, you know, I'll, I will... Uh, you know, I'll I'll tweet that out whenever I have a piece out. I've got a couple things I'm working on this week, just kind of free agency reaction stuff, and then I have a couple of longer things that I'm going to be working on in Vegas. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, just you know, I'm around. And we will have an entire contingent of basketball people in Vegas. I'll be in Vegas. I'm leaving for Vegas on Thursday. So am I. And I'll be out there for six days in Vegas. It's going to kill me. Uh, I have got to get to bed quite honestly, because I slept about two and a quarter hours last night and woke up because I recorded the podcast at like four something, went to bed at around six, and then the Ish Smith news broke while I was waking up mm-hmm. at like 8.15, so it's been a hell of a day. I appreciate you coming on. Also, subscribe to this podcast. And give us five stars. And if you're a person whose opinion that I stole and didn't credit, leave that in a review and give it five stars. And I will read your – I will credit you on the next episode. Uh, Not sure if I'll be back tomorrow again. It kind of just depends on what happens. If the Wizards do something that's like – you know, obviously Sato leaving and and obviously Ishmith and Isaiah Thomas were newsworthy things. So we did a podcast. If if newsworthy stuff happens, it happens. But like – the Wizards have a pretty full roster right now, so I, I, I'm not certain uh, something's going to happen. It could. A Jabari Barker move, something else, uh, you know, something with the biannual exception. They, they at some point, they got to find someone who has some sort of defensive gene in his body. Like, they just got to. They got to go out and they got to use the – like, you just can't have literally no average defenders on your team. Like, they – Jan Mahimi is their only average defender. 
Like they they got to do something about that at some point. Like you got to just reach out to Rondé Hollis Jefferson and be like, you want the biannual exception? Will you come for a minimum? You got to you got to do something to where you have someone who you play who is in your rotation who is just an average defender. I'm setting the bar real low. You, you can't. It's just not good. I, I'm just a big believer. Even if you're tanking. I really am a big believer, and it's my personal belief, and obviously there are people out there who disagree with me, people who are smarter than me. Sam Hinkie, I'm sure, would disagree with me on this. I'm a big belief. You can't establish – culture stuff can carry over in your young guys. Like, yeah, in three years, maybe the only people from this team who are left on the roster are Thomas Bryant and Troy Brown. That's possible. Maybe they're the only two guys, but you don't want their formative years to be growing up on a team where, yeah, maybe there's character accountability because a lot of these guys are good guys and hard workers and all that and kind of all the cliches, even if they're true, all the cliches and those sorts of things. But you want the habits to be instilled. You want them to learn. You want them to look at someone who knows how to play defense and be like, oh, that's how you do it. Because Thomas Bryant can work his ass off. And Thomas Bryant can try as hard as he can. He can be an hour and a half early to every Wizards practice, and he can leave every Wizards practice two hours late. He can be the hardest worker in NBA history. But if there's no one there how to show him how to do it the right way, then it's not as important. You need somebody there for him to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. No, you know? Dude, I'm totally, I'm totally with you, and this is something Bring else that I kind of— harder. You know? Yeah, no, I th- that's that's somebody that I mean, these are you know this is something that I fought with these same Bulls people over when you know they did the Otto Porter trade and then they had that month of February where they won a bunch of games and everybody was like, oh no, this is this is hurting our chances at Zion and I'm just like, no, at some point you need to actually bring in good players who are gonna help establish good habits because if you're if you know if you're losing. If you're, you know, that Sixers team that go, that went ten and seventy two, like that's such a toxic culture for these young guys to be a part of. Yeah, and you hear from people who played on that team. It was just so toxic and so depressing. And it worked. I mean, look, they, what, the, the process, for the most part, filled, the Sixers are ridiculously good. Talk about interesting teams. Sixers are really interested, and in maybe 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 they won the title next year. They could win the title next year, for sure. I just, I think you need somebody there who's like, all right, this is how you do it. This is how you play defense. This is how... This is how you get in a defensive stance. This is how you protect right. the rim. And and you know what? Uh, I'm not giving quite enough talent because I know Wizards fans like to bash him, but he deserves credit. Jan Mahimi is a great locker room guy. There is a reason why he's still there and that they're not. Like, you know, part of it is that people didn't want to take on his contract with multiple years left. But Jan Mahimi How much different would a lot of things have been if they had signed Al Horford instead? Because they almost signed Al Horford before he ended up going to the Celtics. Oh, my listeners are very aware of that. <laughs> things would have been different. He would have been a great fit on this team. Al Horford's well, he'd be a good fit, fit on, on every team. team. Yeah. I don't necessarily love the fit with Philly. I don't know if that's a controversial take or not, but, like, I I don't know. Because you like him I, that more team than five? Great. I don't know. I I was really I was really hoping he'd end up in New Orleans. Like there was like a briefly a rumor that that was a possibility. Yeah, that of, would have been great. He'd have been perfect. He'd be per, he'd be perfect in Dallas next to Porzingis. Yeah, he would have been awesome on the Clippers. Uh, like he he honestly honestly 
he would have been a good guy for the Lakers to go after to put next to Anthony Davis. Obviously, he had to keep that cap space for Kawhi, but uh, Horford and Anthony Davis together defensively? I, I agree with you that I like him more as a five, but one thing that I'll say is Brett, Brett Brown has really weird rotations, like the way that he plays his starters at the start of the second quarters and stuff. And I uh-huh. bet you, and like they got killed when Joel Embiid didn't play this year. So I, I bet you they do 24 minutes of Embiid at center, and or, or I guess uh, it would be thir- like 32 minutes of just Embiid, and then the other at center, and then the other 18 minutes. What is it? 18 minutes? 16 minutes. I can't add. The other 16 minutes, Al Horford is going to be playing center. Like Al Horford is going to be the backup there, and then Al Horford is going to have. 16 to 18 minutes where he and Embiid share the floor and Horford plays his 32, 34 minutes, and that's how they're going to do it. Like, they're going to sta- they're gonna have to stagger those guys, and Horford can get his, you know, play a third of the game at center. And maybe on some nights, maybe during the regular season, if you play Embiid 30 minutes, Horford can play 18 of the game's 48 minutes at center, and that's something where, like, he'll destroy. So what the hell is a second unit going to do against Al Horford? Good God, or or like what? Or maybe you find some weird way to do it where Joel Embiid is against second units, and it's like, oh my God, what is he gonna? What, him against backup centers? What the hell is gonna happen there? So like that's that's an option, and I would be shocked if Philadelphia didn't didn't treat it like that, and that is going to be real tough, really hard. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I think people are gonna realize how good Jimmy Butler, how important Jimmy Butler was for them this year. That's all I'm gonna say. Is that a Ben Simmons light? I just think out of the two guys that had, you know, they they could have signed to a five-year near-max deal, I wonder if they picked the right one out of their two free agents. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. We'll see. I mean, look, they they had they no, had I mean, now, now, okay, like, I mean, look. They had I some mean, personality look, stuff, too. Like, well, let's I mean, be that, real. Right, everybody, is, everybody in the league knows that, that Jimmy Butler – and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are are not chumming it up in the movies on Friday nights. Well, I mean, I covered Jimmy. I'm well aware of the of the stuff with him, but I still and I mean, maybe he just was bent on going to Miami because he is so close with Dwayne Wade and he loves the idea of getting the same adulation by Miami fans that Dwayne Wade had. Never mind that Dwayne Wade had won three titles with the Heat and was a MVP candidate for a solid decade there, but you know. That's another thing, but yeah. Dwayne Wade, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like it's. I mean that that that's a whole other conversation. But if they had had the ability to keep Jimmy Butler, I would have tried to keep Jimmy Butler more harder than they actually tried to keep Jimmy Butler. That's what I would say. Yeah. All right. We're signing off. I give you guys the spiel on where to subscribe, how to subscribe, how to rate, where to rate, how to leave a review, where to leave a review. Follow Sean on you. Twitter. Sean, what's your uh, handle? Just Hiken. All right. Yeah. Just, no, it's just Hiken. Yeah. H-I-G-H-K-I-N. Follow Sean on Twitter. He's a great follow. Yeah. Read his stuff at Bleacher Report. He does an awesome job. Uh, I, like I said, I'll be back when I'm back. We'll we'll see what happens. It really just depends on the news. If they do something big tomorrow, I'll definitely record a, an episode tomorrow. If they don't do something real big, then probably something later this week. I'll for sure record at least a podcast or two in Vegas no matter what. Uh, And uh, whenever I'm back, I'll talk to you guys then.